I'm a bottom and I'm an, an avid doucher. I'm a big fan of it. I've got probably 20 plus years of experience with it under my belt, literally. Welcome to Queer Health Podcast, a podcast that talks about health for sexual and gender minorities. I'm Sam, I use he, him pronouns, and I'm an internal medicine primary care resident in New York City. I'm Gabby, my pronouns are she, her, and I have the same job title. If you're interested in knowing why we started this podcast and what to expect from this season, we encourage you to check out our five-minute intro episode that you should be able to find on whatever streaming service you're using. And who is it that just told us they bought him? That was Brad Lokley. I'm a stand-up comedian and television writer. People might recognize me from my years on a show called World's Dumbest on True TV. I was one of Joan Rivers' writers for Fashion Police for many, many, many years. Uh, semi-finalist on Last Comic Standing and the author of the book My Big Day Lucky. What doesn't appear on Brad's resume is actually the reason we asked to talk with him. The skill he has cultivated for over two decades, and that is today's topic. Douching. And by that, we mean putting water in your butthole to get any uninvited poop out of your anus and rectum before sex. So if you have a butthole and it's in your cast of sexual body part characters, or that's an aspiration of yours, this episode is for you. Okay, so we do have one more person to introduce before we can get things rolling. I'm Richard Green, a primary care doctor in New York City and the medical director of the Pride Health Center at Bellevue Hospital. And my pronouns are he and him. Richard is going to give us some perspective on why douching is even a queer health topic in the first place. Douching is pretty common among gay, bisexual, and queer men who have anal sex. And also, it's widely discussed in the community, but no one ever brings it up with their healthcare provider. And most of the healthcare providers I know have absolutely no information about it. And some feel so uncomfortable that they will actually just tell patients not even to do it without even much information. So are you ready to take a deep dive into the data on douching? We're going to cover a few things that you need to know about understanding the risks and benefits of douching. We're going to cover the relevant anatomy and the role of fiber supplements. And also what kind of liquid is safe to use and some associated risks with douching, like sexually transmitted infections. And while Brad is a gay cisgender bottom, and the studies we'll discuss often focus on men who have sex with men and include a small number of trans women too. It's also really important to note that a 2018 study showed us that about a third of cisgender women who have anal sex also use rectal enemas. All right. So basically, like I said, if you have a butthole and it's part of your sex life, or maybe you want it to be part of your sex life, this information is for you. The first time a guy I hooked up with told me you should probably douche. I didn't even think he meant enema, so I went to a CVS and got a women's old school, I don't even know if they make these anymore, but like a Summer's Eve, thinking that was the, the gay protocol, uh, quickly learned that it wasn't. I didn't need that product. In my early days, there were ads on TV where a mother and a daughter wearing flowy gossamer dresses would walk down the beach and one would say to the other, you know, sometimes I just don't feel fresh. And then there would be an ad for vaginal douches. Would it say the words vaginal douches? No, it would be called Summer's Eve and no one actually knew what it was. But (laughs) the phrase, sometimes I just don't feel fresh, became canonized into gay parlance. So... Brad, too, had probably heard about what it means to have a summer's eve, not so fresh kind of moment. I only did that once, and then I talked to other gay men. 
and friends who are like, oh, no, honey, when we say douche, we mean clean out your rear. So this brings up questions number one, and uh, pardon the pun, number two. Let's define douching. And by douching, we mean enema. And by enema, we mean tap water enema. Amidst all those puns, you've actually made a really important point, which is that douching specifically refers to flushing the vaginal canal with water with the intention to clean. And as an aside, these vaginal douches are not recommended for a handful of health reasons. But the big takeaway is, technically speaking, douching refers to vaginal cleansing. Okay, so let's... bear down on some more definitions. So if douching isn't the term for, well, douching, then what is? That answer is enemas. Enemas are meant for relieving constipation. They're designed to deliver water or a solution directly into the rectum to loosen poop and stimulate the act of pooping. Even when we take out vaginal douching from the picture, there are still a lot of different ways to douche your rectum. For starters, some people use shower nozzles if they have them handy, and the idea here is pretty straightforward. You turn the nozzle on, point it at the rectum, and let the water pressure do the work. Other folks might prefer a lower velocity option, such as a bulb enema, and this is one of the most common types of douching tools out there. You can buy these empty and fill them with tap water, or in the case of a brand called Fleet Enema, they'll come pre-filled with some sort of solution already inside of them. Let's talk about the potential side effects of using Fleet Enema solutions rather than just a vessel filled with tap water. Fleet is a type of saltwater solution, a sodium phosphate, The product is meant to help with constipation, not douching, constipation. There's actually a difference here. The reason we're making this distinction is because the liquid that comes in a fleet enema to help with constipation actually irritates the colon, causing it to contract, which is why it's not a great thing to use if you're preparing for sex. You don't want your colon to be irritated because it might pull more things forward. All right, so now we've talked about shower nozzles, we've talked about bulb enemas, we've gone through the pros and cons of using fleet enemas, but there's one more kind of enema or douching product that I want to mention. This is a bag that you can hang with tubing that has a shutoff clamp, meaning you can insert the nozzle into your rectum, but not allow the water to enter until you're somewhere where you feel you can expel the water the way you want to. And accessibility plug, this option is great for folks who aren't sure if they can make it from where they're douching over to the toilet fast enough. The shutoff clamp is key for that. All right, let's move on. And I want to talk about what evidence is out there for each of these cleansing options and get a sense of what we know and what we don't know. Emphasis on the don't know. There is an absolute dearth of information. We know almost nothing about douching. That's John Baker. I'm a PA or physician assistant. I focus on sexual health, especially for gay men and other people engaging in anal intercourse. When John says we know almost nothing about douching, what he means is that there are no published guidelines or strong scientific studies done that ask douching-specific questions. There isn't nothing. We'll touch upon some of the studies later, but it's not so well studied, and so recommendations often rely on expert opinion. Speaking of our experts, I want to go back to John to get to the very bottom of what drives douching, which, to put it plainly, is butt anatomy. The the anus and rectum itself ranges from about 8 inches to 12 inches, depending on a person's anatomy. And in a totally healthy rectum and anus, there actually should be no stool there. There's a muscle that's called the puborectalis that holds stool above the anus and rectum. And then when you defecate, that muscle relaxes and allows the stool to pass. 
So a muscle that holds the poop above the rectum until you're over the toilet bowl, ideally, and keeps it out of the rectum. Yes, your rectum is cinched, and as long as she's cinched tight, the poo is off the rectal runway. This week's challenge, rectal realness. So in a very happy, healthy, working GI system, the anus and rectum is clear. That gives you an 8 to 12-inch landing space, which for the majority of of encounters is going to be fine. Every once in a while, we you know, have that great encounter where maybe it's not, and that might bring us to a different place. So unless you're putting something bigger than a foot into your rear, for most folks, you're in rectal territory. So I guess the big takeaway for me is that for most people, the rectum is going to be what you want to focus on for cleanliness before intercourse. This is where I want to introduce another one of our experts, Dr. Jordan Axelrod. He's a gastroenterologist or a digestive tract doctor at NYU, where he primarily works with folks who have disease like colitis and inflammatory bowel disease. And he had some basic housekeeping tips when it comes to douching. I have generally recommended that patients who just want to maintain on a diet that's high in soluble fibers, you know, so basically bulk laxative, things like psyllium and so forth can be really useful. So fiber is what both John and Jordan brought up for keeping the rectum clean. The cinched rectum. Cinched but not clenched. Very important. Say more, Richard. What do you mean by that? So some people hold a lot of tone in their rectum, particularly in their anus, and it can cause some problems with hemorrhoids, but that's, a, uh, that's an issue for another day. Getting back to douching, it sounds like both of our experts feel like the key to douching is fiber. Fiber through your mouth in a pill form or through your diet. There's not like one particular brand or anything like that. Of course, there's like a lot of marketing towards men who have sex with men of like different fiber supplements. We all know them. I think um, basically any brand of like psyllium or something like that, or even metamucil will do it. Things like metamucil or psyllium husk work as bulking agents. That means they basically sweep everything hanging around in the digestive tract along and then delivering it all bulked up to the rectum for easy removal. Okay, so the experts have all recommended fiber, but does Brad in the field have any experience with it? It doesn't help me. I've tried those, some of those pills and some of those formulas that they say are specifically for bottoms and that, you know, a lot of gay men in particular will see other gay men on Instagram and Twitter kind of promoting. They have in no way produced a better response and a few of them actually really, I, my body had a negative response to. John actually spoke to this phenomenon of folks taking fiber supplements and feeling discomfort. People definitely will get some some side effects if they just start with a huge amount of fiber when their body isn't isn't used to that. And so here we're talking about side effects like bloating, diarrhea, cramping, all of which Brad was alluding to earlier. Richard, what exactly do we know about the role of water and fiber supplements in feeling constipated and bloated? It's hard to make generalizations, but there's some data out there. Given that the colon pulls water in when there's fiber there to make sure that people stay well hydrated because if you get dehydrated, it can be thicker and maybe not pass as easily as we want. And drinking plenty of water and scaling it up slowly, if you're someone who's thinking about taking fiber supplements, is a way to help minimize some of the cramping and feeling bloated. How would you sum up the dosing recommendations for folks who would start a fiber supplement that our experts gave us? It's hard to make a recommendation on a starting dose because it hasn't really been studied. But if you've tried fiber and it made you crampy, then try taking half the dose you took initially or spread out how often you take it when you start, maybe every other day. 
just to get things moving. Dosing stuff aside, we should note that both experts have said that generic brands are totally fine. Though to Brad's point, there will be fewer torsos in the advertising, which is plus or minus depending on what you're into. But long story short, the active ingredient, not the brand, is what you should be focusing on. Ultimately, you're looking for something with ingredients that say psyllium husk or with high soluble fiber content. It is worth mentioning that fiber has benefits beyond douching. It's also good for health, you know, generally because high fiber diets have been associated with reductions in cholesterol, reductions in your risk of diabetes and cardiovascular um, health. And, um, you know, I think that that's something else to keep in mind. In summary, fiber is good for your health and good for your douching goals. All right, so fiber or no fiber, many folks are still going to douche. Let's talk about the physical mechanics of it. Brad was telling us about using an enema bulb where he had had a bit of a mechanical mishap. I did one time clinch too soon and separated because on most enema bulbs, it's not the little tube is not fused to the bulb to make it easier to clean. And I clenched too soon, and so they separated. That only happened once. You learn, you learn from that experience. Um, we decided Brad can call his douching autobiography "Clenched Too Soon." We touched base with John for his more mechanics-oriented instructions that unfortunately came too late for a younger, more naive Brad. Was it stand, sit, squat, turn, work? No, not exactly, Sam. Why don't we just listen to the experts? I think if you have the, the space in your bathroom to lie on your side, that's probably the most comfortable and easiest to pull. Some patients will squat over the enema. Some patients will bend over a surface like a counter. That bending motion actually helps to relax the, the rectum and straighten things out so that the enema can go straight in. So you do actually want to be bent at the waist during enema use. A little bathroom floor lay down sounds nice. Yes. <laughs> and unlike Brad, you will spare using your roommate's nice towels to clean up the butt fountain that you accidentally made. Okay, so just like Seder, we're reclining and we start to feel the urge to escape to the bathroom. Not exactly at my Seder, Sam. Okay, fair enough. So what about how to put the enema device where it needs to go? Did we have any mechanical advice there? John uh, and I advise putting some lube on the tip of whatever device you're using uh, and inserting it into the rectum. And once the lube is on, John recommends this. Insert it all the way until the widening part of either that bottle or the syringe is against the outside of the anus and then squeeze it to expel the liquid into the anus and rectum. Hold it there for no more than a minute and then you'll expel into the toilet. And if you can't hold it that long, that's okay. Exactly. Everyone's body will react a little bit differently. All right, so that's how to get water inside the rectum. But once it's there, we wanted to know from John if there's anything else someone should be thinking about. You really actually kind of want the water to stay in the rectum. You want it at the very end. If that goes past the rectum, it's going to mix with stuff that's not necessarily stool yet that's in the rest of the colon, and then it may actually drag that into the rectum. So you may actually bring stool into the place that you're trying to get it out of. Lying on your side or a little bent at the waist, some lube on the tip of your enema device, a gentle insertion, and voila. Just make sure you're near a toilet in case voila happens fast. All right. So let's talk about some more nuances, like the volume of water folks should be using. 
So some use a store-bought enema that they fill with tap water and use. Others have a rubber reusable bulb, which they fill a few times. And then others have a shower nozzle attachment, which would presumably be a lot more water in terms of volume. I know a lot of gay men who kind of, because gay men are men and we get oddly competitive. So they're using a shower attachment. So it is now technically an endless flow of water. It's kind of like, well, let me fill myself up to the, as much as I can take because A, that'll somehow clean me out better. The other person might be able to go deeper and penetrate me further sexually. I have heard that that is the douche you should not be using for a myriad of reasons like controlling water pressure, controlling temperature, overloading your anal cavity, doing damage that way. We brought up the question of volume and damage to our experts. In short, Brad was right. The nozzle predisposes folks to the most risk because of the high volume of water it can deliver so rapidly. So if the shower nozzle delivers too much water, what is the right or safe volume for douching? So definitely, you know, I wouldn't do more than like eight ounces or so or or a can of Diet Coke, for example. Just a couple of ounces is, is usually, you know, sufficient to really clear the rectum at that. The, the issue. Hey, Gabby, can I borrow that can of Coke for a second? Um, you can keep it. So somewhere between a well drink and a can of Coke is a safe volume. Yes, which brings us back to the safety concerns about shower nozzles. And here's John again on some advice for people who do use a shower nozzle to douche. The, the two problems with the shower attachment, one is the pressure. And so I think probably... My best advice there, if you want to use a shower attachment, is to watch the water until it's shooting up about maybe an inch or two, but no more than that. Because again, you don't want to shoot that directly into the rest of the colon. You want to keep it in the rectum. So really get the pressure set before you insert it. Because remember, if it gets into the colon, you have unformed poop there that once brought into the rectum takes more time to clean out. So you're not doing yourself any favors. And then the other part is the timing of it. So once you put that in there and there's water going in, you really don't know how much water. And so the goal would be to use a really similar amount to what would be in the the two vehicles I recommended to probably about a cup of water. And that's going to be really hard to judge when you're using the shower attachment. But I will tell you, if you've used enough water that you're getting this sort of unformed stool, which is often very fibrous looking, um, and and it doesn't look like what you would expect to be in the toilet, then you're probably going too far or putting too much liquid in there. Let's be clear about the safety aspect here. Putting large volumes of water into the rectum can cause problems by either stretching the tissue and putting in small tears or worse, large ones. And using volumes the size of a water bottle one at a time can prevent that. So if you're using small volumes, then how do you know when enough is enough? Brad actually had some thoughts on this. When Catholics are waiting for a new Pope, they're waiting for the smoke to go white. And when I'm douching, I'm waiting for the water to go clear. Ah, a truly religious experience. So if that happens after one bulb, then great. That's where my, you know, my anus was that day. If if it takes a couple times, it takes a couple times. But what about the safety and risks of how often you douche? So not how much water in a given bulb or how many bulbs to use each time, but how many times you're douching throughout, say, a week. And to answer that, let me introduce my friend and colleague, Dr. Mitchell Lund. I'm an assistant professor of medicine at Stanford University School of Medicine. I am a nephrologist by training, and I spend about 75% of my time conducting LGBTQ plus health research. 
So we asked Mitchell how often folks douche and the associated health risks that can come with more frequent douching. When I think of the kind of the words aggressive douching, I think of folks who douche more than more than once a day and more than three times a week. Like we were saying, the frequency that you douche has its own set of risks. Where too much volume is about fissuring or physical trauma, too often can lead to inflammation. And the reason for that is that with every douching, you're getting rid of some of that mucus layer. And that is really a protective layer. It's what protects your colon from getting infected from the billions and billions of bacteria that are in your large intestine. So here's where we are now. Start with fiber, not too fast. If you're going to douche, tap water, use a dash of lube to avoid fissures and tears, and keep the volume of water low in your rectum so as not to invite anything from above in your colon down to the party. Or onto the bed sheets. Nozzle gals, low flow, low volume. Don't go chasing. Are we allowed to do that? No. There's legitimate concerns to be had about like anal health if you're over douching and douching multiple times a day all the time. Um, but I also think like people are now try- like, I don't want you to put like matcha and chai seeds and like, you know, rose quartz and grind it up and put it in my enema. Like I don't want artisanal farm to table enemas. According to a review of enema use in men who have sex with men, roughly two-thirds used water to douche, and about a quarter of the folks who douched added salt, soap, and or an antibacterial product to the water. And overall, about a third of the folks who were douching just used a commercially available product. So we didn't ask John about his farm-to-table preferences, but he actually did weigh in on water types. The anus is a neutral pH with the rest of the body, so you don't need to use either anything acidic or basic. And as long as you're, you're using water, that's probably about as safe as we can get with the, the current state of knowledge. So solutions that are sold as pH balance, well, that shouldn't really matter according to our experts, because if you're using water, the pH is going to be just fine for your rectum. Right, and tap water or bottled water is at a pH that is totally fine for your rectum. Mitchell also noted that temperature really matters. But I would want to emphasize not to have hot water, people. We always are taught that hot water is what you're supposed to, you know, wash your hands with and all these other things. I tend to remind people that our tips of our fingers can handle water temperatures a lot higher than, than what our insides can. Lukewarm water is, is the way to go. Cold is also not pleasant, right? So somewhere in between. Okay, so warm water. What about adding soaps, extra salts, or rubbing alcohol? Warm water. Are we sure? Don't douche with bleach. Don't douche with isopropyl or rubbing alcohol. Okay, so that was clear. No bleach, no alcohol, water. Just use tap water. Now that we have covered the 101 level for douching, we're going to pivot. We've talked about how to maximize safety and try to convey what we do know. And part of the reason we wanted to start with douching is because we hear so many rumors about it. Yeah, like it's the worst thing you could do. But somehow so many queer people are expected to do it. We asked Brad about what it actually looks like when folks have the information about potential harm and could discuss this with their healthcare providers. It seems to me that conversation is happening more and more. If you have an LGBT plus doctor, 
um, or focus doctor. But I, but I then also see the pushback still where people are like, yeah, but I'm just going to like continue to douche in the way that I've always douched because I would rather not have a fecal moment. It's important to remember that there's a balance between knowing the health risks and knowing that you don't want poo around during sex. And so when I talk to patients, I mostly ask people what they know about the health risks of douching, and then I fill in the gaps for them. I list some of the potential complications and what they should know about them. The fact that we're talking about the health risks of douching doesn't necessarily imply that it's something that's unsafe. What we're trying to do is just make sure folks know the facts so they can decide if it's something that they're comfortable doing and it's something that they're comfortable doing with their body. Right. So let's get into what some of those risks are. So some of them we've already talked about. We're talking mechanical tears from the insertion of the enema device or showering your bathroom floor with anus water. How could I forget? But (laughs) something else Brad shared was what he's heard within his network about the relationship between douching and sexually transmitted infections. I do hear some concern about STI and even just general kind of bacterial infection because if the person is going to choose to not use a condom, I think there's then also a feeling of like, I'm going to get some kind of, I'll get a urinary tract infection, I'll get something through, you know, my dick if the other person's anus isn't, you know, clean enough to eat off of. We took that standard to our experts and asked about douching and its possible impact or relationship with STIs or sexually transmitted infections. Yeah. So this is the one thing that's actually been studied. There have been studies showing an increased risk of acquisition, STIs, sexually transmitted infections with douching and enema use, especially more frequent douching and enema use. The biology of what drives the connection between douching and increased numbers of STIs isn't quite known, but some people suggest that increased levels of douching is going to damage the outer protective layer of cells in the rectum, and that makes that area of the body a little more vulnerable to the kinds of things that cause STIs, the actual bugs themselves. So there is one specific study that we want to mention that speaks to what Jordan is talking about. The study reviews a few other studies, and it showed that folks who reported douching more were also more likely to have STIs, including gonorrhea, chlamydia, and HIV. That's obviously confounded by patients who may do frequent douching or enemas that they may be engaging in more risky or increased number of sexual partners and so forth that would otherwise increase their risk of sexually transmitted infection. So there's obviously overlap there. Jordan called the relationship between how often someone douches and the amount of STIs they may have as confounding. We want to explain what that means here. When the relationship between two things is confounded, it means it's hard to tease apart cause and effect. In this case, this means that maybe the folks who douche more are just having sex more, and that means they're more likely to get these types of infections from having sex and not necessarily douching itself. If you want to check out the information, you can see a link to the study in our show notes. But we're going to move on for now with the understanding that folks who douched were two to three times more likely to get a sexually transmitted infection, including chlamydia, gonorrhea, and HIV. So the verdict on sexually transmitted infections is you can be clean enough to have your ass eaten, whatever that means for you, and also maybe have a higher chance of getting some sexually transmitted infections. Yes, but we should emphasize again that this is really understudied, so at best this is guidance, not gospel. And it's about knowing what the risks are and then making an informed douching and or ass-eating decision. Okay, I've got a bit of a curveball here. According to one study, 
that did a survey about douching, about a quarter of folks who douche do it after they bottom. So it's not just preparation for the party, it's also a little cleanup too. So we reached out to Jordan to ask a little bit about this post-party cleanup and what could happen with sexually transmitted infections. And here's what he told us. He said that many folks feel like douching after sex might reduce their risk of getting infections. In fact, the opposite could be true. You could create further damage to the local tissue and increase the risk of having an infection take hold. So overall, douching after sex is not necessary and we would recommend minimizing it if possible. Okay, so the whole line of logic that we had about douching before sex and the way that that might impact STIs, the same thinking goes for douching after sex. Right. Water irritation, breaking down the protective layer that keeps the door closed to infectious bugs, that's all going to get washed away after sex too. And this is a great reminder that our bodies are often pretty good at protecting themselves from common things if we let them. And for people who have sex without condoms, remember that part of being a responsible sex partner is getting screened for sexually transmitted infections in the sites that you use for sex. If that includes your throat and your butt, then you got to get those screened too. So now, with our questions about these sexually transmitted infections answered, I want to know if there are any special medical conditions that can be impacted by douching. For patients who have specific issues, particularly patients with underlying colitis, you know, recent or, or active rectal or anal infections, patients with, you know, known active anal HPV, these sort of things, they may want to think about avoiding it just for fear of exacerbating their underlying condition. So Jordan mentioned HPV um, or human papillomavirus, and that's a virus uh, that belongs to a family of viruses that replicates in skin. It can sometimes cause warts around the anus and other parts of the body. It's the same family of viruses that can cause certain types of cervical cancer as well as rectal cancers. And you might know it from the Gardasil vaccine, which is the brand name for a specific vaccine against specific HPV virus types, the ones that cause cancer. Right. And the whole reason we're talking about HPV is that that's a common reason folks might have irritation or inflammation in their butt area. So if you feel like you have something else going on, throwing water on that fire may make that fire worse. Right. The introduction of water against the tissue in the rectum can cause some irritation. And if it's already damaged, then it might damage it even further. And when you have a virus like HPV there, that can cause even further problems. So what you're saying is a sign that something is wrong is just pain when you douche. Jordan said it well. There should never be pain in any of these situations. I wanted to follow up with Jordan because he sees a lot of people who have HIV. Some people with HIV who have lower immune function can also be susceptible to certain infections that other people aren't, like cryptosporidium or asasporidium. The names aren't so important, but we wanted to find out if douching reduced or worsened their risk of getting these infections. If we have patients who are undergoing transplant or on a ton of immunosuppression for a variety of medical conditions, you know, patients who have well water, for example, they necessarily shouldn't be drinking that. They should drink bottled water and so forth. If your T cells are low, either from HIV or you're taking medicines to lower your immune system for a transplant or something, then make sure that the water you're using is filtered or bottled. I also want to make the point that if you have HIV and you have an active viral load, I would encourage you to engage with healthcare and try to get the virus under control because the great news is if your virus is undetectable, then there's no way to transmit HIV to your partners during sex. And a pause to say that we acknowledge that getting in touch with healthcare can be tricky, and we will be talking more about that in future episodes. So let's put a pin in that for now. 
We've covered most of our agenda, but Brad had some points about style. I took him upstairs to my room and, you know, he started moving towards my nether regions in that way. And I said, well, okay, babe, if we're going to do this, you've got to give me like five or 10 minutes to go in the bathroom. So just stay here and listen to music or put on some porn or live your best life. I don't care. Journal. I don't give a shit. And I'll be back in 10 minutes when I can actually, you know, kind of hygienically and comfortably have your penis inside of me. So for grownups... You don't have to kill the moment if you have to run off to prepare. No, you can just make that moment look a little different. So why don't you bring us home? What have we learned so far? We've talked about the importance of fiber, the mechanics of douching, and how much volume to douche with. Emphasis on tap water that is room temperature or lukewarm with no salt added. And if you're a shower nozzle kind of lady, shower nozzles can overpower, so make sure to have them at a low water stream before gassing up the tank. And for a moment of clarity amidst this understudied issue, there seems to be an increased risk of sexually transmitted infections like chlamydia and gonorrhea for folks who do douche. The most important thing always is to have an honest conversation about your values. So if you're someone who's planning to douche no matter what your healthcare provider says, then have an open and honest conversation with them so you can understand the risks for you with your own health. There's no sense in hiding it if this is what you're going to do. Better to be able to be informed than to leave it out of the conversation entirely. And if you don't like the answer and you think that they're wrong, get a second opinion. Or a third one. Ultimately, Brad spoke to the reality that even the best laid plans can't always protect your new bed sheets. You're putting a penis in an anus. And anuses, for a, for a reasonable percentage of the day and their, and their lifetimes, have species in them to some extent. So this is merely an occupational hazard. Brad also spoke to cultural notions around douching in the gay community and how this may cause some pressure for folks to feel like they have to. I always wanted to be in my 20s that like ready-made bottom, that bottoms can just show up and be ready at any moment, any time of the day and be a perfectly clean bottom for a top. And I have long evolved past that false, you know, dialogue and mythology because the fact of the matter is an anus is an anus. And if you start sticking things up there in, in a back and forth motion, something might happen. And just because there might be some poop in the rectum doesn't mean someone needs to seek medical intervention. We talked about douching today. So folks know the risks and realities and in doing what we want to state again, just like Brad said, something might happen and that's okay. And we chose this topic not to tell you to douche, but to let you douche if you choose to with a better understanding of what it means for your health. And like Brad said, Keep realistic expectations in mind. Keep your shower nozzles low. Use a water bottle's worth or three-ish douching bulbs. And keep your fiber supplements handy. QHP is a power-sharing project that puts community stories in conversation with health expertise to expand autonomy for sexual and gender minorities. We would like to thank Brad Lokley for taking his time and encourage you to check out his social media linked in our show notes. Thank you again to Jordan Axelrod at NYU, Mitchell Lunn at Stanford, and Jonathan Baker in New York. If you have questions, comments, or feedback, please let us know. You can find us through social media at Queer Health Pod, or you can just come to our website, www.queerhealthpod.com. And thank you to Lonnie Ginsberg for composing our theme music. Opinions in this podcast are our own and do not represent the opinions of any of our affiliated institutions. And even though we're doctors, please don't use this podcast as medical advice, but instead consult with your own healthcare provider.